All right, we're going to start by looking at a couple of the verses that Judd just read that are going to be the main two that we're going to focus on this morning. Verse 8 of Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now when I read this passage about thoughts being as high as the heavens, higher than ours, and ways being as high as the heavens, higher than ours. When I read that, I just think about how brilliant God is, how his capacity is way up here and ours is down here. So Friday, I was in Rapid City uh, visiting a college with, with my son Emmett. It's a science and technology college. We're visiting with the um, chemical engineer professor. And he's explaining to us at one point, he's explaining to us the difference, like the question is like, well, so what do chemists do, like chemistry majors compared to chemical engineer majors? And he starts talking about, well, if you get in a, in a lab and you say you're working on something that'll make the fields go better, like it's fertilizer or it's, you know, to keep weed control down or something, and you, you are in your lab and you come up with something that is going to work really well, it's going to make your yield better in that lab, that's great. But it would take an awful lot of beakers to have enough to cover, you know, fields. You can't just do it in a beaker. So the chemist is working in the beaker. It might be working in a little bit bigger thing. But who's going to build the big things? And who's going to make sure that what you do in your beaker with the temperature and the mixture, that it stays consistent all the way through these big vests? Now you're getting into engineering side of chemistry. And he's talking about, okay, there are all these, these levels. That, the, there's other things, like, like this particular professor actually was in Eddyville during his sabbatical working on, with Cargill on food, the different, different things of, of food. And so and then he's talking about biochemistry stuff and things with enzymes. And, as you, you know, I'm, I'm looking, and I'm watching these, these high school kids next to me like, oh, yeah, they're, they're like sinking it all in. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, really? I mean, for me, it's like this. But when he started talking about the enzymes, and it reminded me of something. I said, so would this be similar to the process for brewing? He was like, oh, yes. (laughs) The only reason I got that is because when Elliot was here in high school, they went over to Peace Tree to talk about biochemistry. And I remember Elliot really liked that, and he was telling me all those things, and it was the same thing. It was going over. But I remembered enough of it that I could look almost as smart as the kids with me. (laughs) I faked it. We got out of there. But here's, here's why I bring all that up. Like, I'm thinking about these people, they're putting all these thoughts into, like, the chemistry to find out this is how we could make more food grow. I mean, it is remarkable how much more food we get for land compared to how we did 100 years ago because of all these thoughts. And then to figure out, here's how we're going to build the machine. And they're like 10 phases. And, and at this phase, you've you got to come up with three equations. And then when it gets to this phase, three equations, and they're calculus and all these thoughts. And I am just like, I don't understand what's going on. And then I look up at God, and he's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Because I kind of made all this stuff. I know how all of it works. We, were with, we sat in on a class, and this was into metallurgical kinds of things, the me, the, the, and they're talking about alloys and talking about, okay, so what kind of, how would you need to treat and what kind of materials would you use for things that are going to go into outer space? Because the temperature, how metal is going to react here 
down earth is going to be different than the temperatures that are out of space, but they're going to be in both places. And so they're thinking about that. And again, God's saying like, yeah, it's great that you're figuring out what kind of material you could send to Mars. I made Mars. You should see other places I've made. You should see the materials on other planets that I've made. Like, God's thoughts are higher. Like, I mean, he is huge. He spoke these things into existence. He gets it. He's got it figured out. So that's how I have often thought about this passage. He's got a perspective we don't have. He knows how he's bringing all things together. He knows the goals he has. All of this is in his mind. And then there's us. And so when I think about his thoughts being higher than our thoughts, I typically think about capacity. The capacity of the divine mind compared to the capacity of my little human brain. But this fall, we're going through a series called His Heart. It's based on a book by Dane Ortland, And so each week we're picking a couple of the chapters which have like one verse at the beginning of it. And this verse that we're looking at about thoughts being so much higher than our thoughts is, is one of those two chapters for today. And this passage takes on a whole different meaning when I'm thinking about it with his heart. Because I'm thinking about the capacity of thoughts, how much God knows compared to how much I could possibly know. But this passage is really also getting into the direction of God's heart. What is he thinking about? Who, how does he think toward us compared to how do I think toward myself and toward other people? Here's why I say this. In those two verses I read, the first word in it is for. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For. The forward is connecting it to what just came right before. Let me reread those. Verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord... And he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. The last thing God is talking about, or how it's talking about God, before it gets into the fact that his thoughts and ways are so much higher than ours, is that he'll have mercy on us. That he will freely pardon us. I tend to think in this passage about how much more he can think about compared to me. But how about the way he thinks about forgiveness compared to me? It's at a whole different level. I don't think like God thinks when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. The other chapter in this gives an even better example, I think, of this, or it makes it even more clear to me. So we're going to look at Exodus in a a second. Let me frame this up. Moses is is the prophet. He's the leader of of God's people. And he he has brought God's people out, and God has made an agreement with him. He says, you will be my people, and I will be your God, and here's the terms of the agreement. And they say yes, and then within a very short time, they totally violate the agreements. They they start worshiping other gods. They're focused on created things rather than the creator. 
And God's, God's at this point ready to say like, well, if they don't want me to be their God, these are the terms of the agreement. They just said yes, then that's how it will be. But Moses in prayer with, with God, he's like, I'll just start with you, Moses, because I know you really do want me in your life. He says, no, 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 no. That show, show, let's not do that. And so God says, okay, good. It's like God said, yes, you're right. I'm glad you see what my heart is like. And then, but God says, so I'll send you ahead, but I'll send you with an angel. I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, no, 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 no. You, it, we don't even going to go unless your presence will go with us. And then we get to this point. Verse 17 of Exodus 33 And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now, when we think about show me your glory, what I think about is show me what's most impressive about you. Show me what's most impressive about you. Show me the reason that I would worship you. Show me the reason that I would say, I'm going to have allegiance to you. I'm going to give you my attention. I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to tell other people about you. I'm going to do what you say. Show me what's most impressive about you. And this is coming from a man whose first encounter with God was that he came upon him on a mountain. Here's a bush. Some think it's probably more like a tree that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And then a voice talks to you. Now, I've seen some pretty big bonfires, and it's like, wow, that's cool. Like, that's worth, worth paying attention to. This is what he happens upon. In the midst of this encounter, he takes his staff, throws it down, so it turns into a snake. Now, that's impressive. So the guy that says, show me how impressive you are. Just show it to me. That guy has seen that. He has seen all kinds of things. He's seen a, a sea part and a whole nation of people walk across it on dry land and then there's water come back down. He has seen food come from heaven at this point. He once, remember, saw the tree on fire on the mountain when years later when the people get back to the mountain and it's Moses and all the people of Israel, God sets the whole mountain on fire and it shakes and there's an earthquake and there's thunder and God talks. That's impressive. Now, the person who has seen all of these things says, now, I've seen that, but now, really, show me your glory. Show me something that would impress me. Show me who you are. Watch God's response. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God, show me what's most impressive about you. I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you how compassionate I am. I'll show you my mercy. That's not what I would expect. Says he puts Moses up in a cliff. He's gonna, he chisels out the Ten Commandments. And then a few verses later, he says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. Now, I should stop. When he says he's gonna say his name, 
That's his character. That's who he is. This is his heart. This is the central, the most important part about who God is. That's what he's about to reveal. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. When he's going to say, this is who I am, he says, I'm compassionate. That's a feeling word. I'm gracious. That's an action word. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love. This is who he is. This is what's most impressive about God. That he will forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It's who he is. We've been talking a lot in New Testament with Jesus, looking at Jesus' heart. This is the Old Testament passage that's most quoted in the rest of the Bible. It's the, it's the verse in the Bible that most shows up everywhere else. And it's about this is who God's heart is. Now, I can read it, and I can just be, get fixated on like, well, what gives with the end? Punishes the children to third and fourth generation. That doesn't seem very nice. Right? You're slow to anger, and you're still picking on people, you know, great-grandkids? Grand, what gives with that? So here's the deal. What we do matters. There will be consequences. But what he's saying, it says, showing love to thousands, the Hebrew writers or scholars who've looked at this passage all over, they, there's a common agreement that means a thousand, it's shorthand, a thousand generations. So the Lord will punish. He will let things go to four generations. He will show love to thousand generations. His inclination is weighted way more in the showing of love and the forgiving of sins than it is in punishing. What naturally springs from him is compassion and graciousness and restoration, not punishment. Clay last week said, hell, maybe we should think about hell not so much as a downward movement, as an inward movement. Hell is, I so focus here, that there is, that I keep God away. And when we focus here and we aren't in contact with God, we miss out on who he is, which is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, maintaining love and faithfulness. That's who he is. That's what's most impressive about him. But I don't know it. The Isaiah passage we looked at says, let the wicked forsake their thoughts. In Psalms, this is how wickedness is defined. Wicked in, wickedness in all their thoughts, they have no room for God. Wicked people don't think about God. We got lots of other things to think about. And then we do this. Now, in, in the chapter here that this Isaiah passage comes from about thoughts being, God's thoughts being higher than our thoughts, he says the message, he's kind of reviewing, because we're like 
bunch of chapters in already, but he starts the chapter with, the message of this book is to help people not project their own expectations, oh, this is what I think God is like on God, and instead let God tell us for himself who he really is. He quotes John Calvin as, as saying, like, when we, when, we start putting, when we start thinking of God and expecting of him what we, how we think, we get into bad shape. So what are God's thoughts like? God's thoughts, slow to anger, gracious, compassionate, looking to forgive, looking for opportunities to restore. What are my thoughts like? This week, had a time with a person, and the person was just bagging on other people, just like talking them down. And I left that meeting, and I thought to myself, why is that person always so argumentative? You know, that person always thinks, he's, he's taking the worst out of people. And I, and for the next day, I am thinking about this. You know, I should, and here's what I realized after like a day in. I'm, I'm going to go talk to him, and I'm going to go argue with him because he's so argumentative. And I'm going to tell him, you should be nicer to people. I'm going to say it like that, right? I have everything that I didn't like about what was coming from that guy are the thoughts that I had going back at him. And that's not how God thinks. But that's how I think. But God's thoughts are not like my thoughts. He's at a whole other level. And he thinks the best of people. I want to look at one other passage. So it's from Psalms. So this Isaiah passage, as the heavens are higher than the earth, that phrase is used one other time. The other time that phrase is used is in this Psalm, Psalm 103, where it says in verse 8, no, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. The only other time that it's talking about, see, it's as high as the heavens compared to this. It's not talking about the capacity of how much God can do and how much he can think about and the perspective it has. It's talking about how much love he has. So in the beginning part of the day, on Friday, we hung out with people that were way smarter than me. But in the second part of the day, we, were, we got to explore Rapid City, we got to go up, Emmett and I got to go hike up to the M, M Hill, M Mountain. It was great. Like Emmett's just like, you know, we're, we're going up this steep thing, and Emmett's just, you know, he's back, yep, like this. And I was like, it's great. I want to do this with you, son. This would be a great moment. Okay, 160. I don't think 160 will kill me, but I better slow down a bit and catch my breath here. So we get up there, and you can look over the entire rapid city, the entire city, and then it just goes. You know, Montana, they call it big sky country. This, this very near Montana, this place. So we're on the, the peak, so on one side you just see this, and then you see as far as you go, and then the other side you see into the Black Hills. You just see everything. And I'm thinking as high as the heavens are above the earth, and I'm looking sky. That's how much he loves me. Try to measure that. That's how much patience he has with me. 
That's how gracious he is towards me. There's Psalm 139 talks about that God thinks about us. He has thoughts about us. It says how vast the sum of him of them, the thoughts. You can't number them. It's like trying to number the grains of sand on the seashore. He is thinking about us all the time. And his thoughts are good. In this series, I have practiced something. Jesus is gentle and lowly, gentle and humble. And one thing I've practiced is when I am irritated with a person, when I'm thinking about a person I'm mad at or don't like, I, you know, a common thing would be like, God, help me to like that person. I've just, I've taken, I feel like that's too fast of a step for a guy like me. When I'm getting frustrated, I say, God, remind me what you think about me. From here, not from my mind that's mad at myself, that thinks I'm stupid. From here, remind me what you think about me. And it has been remarkable. That's been, you know, six, seven, eight weeks now that I've been doing that. Obviously, I just told you a story that's the exact opposite. So it's not perfect, but there have been a number of times where I look at a person and I like them. In the midst of what normally, I, all, I be, all my thoughts would be about what's wrong with that person, why they're not doing what I want them to do, what they need to be corrected on. My own kids. I just see something, I what? let me think, you know what, I don't need to correct that right now. I don't need to hover over them and correct every little thing that they do wrong. Kid, delightful. Because when I'm thinking thoughts like God, then it changes the way I think about people. And really, what this passage is saying is repent. It's what Jesus preached, it's what his disciples preached. They preach repent, and repent means change the way you think. And we'll hear. Some of us might have these stereotypes of like, repent or you'll go to hell. Whatever repent means, get, stop doing the really bad stuff. Well, I mean, we should stop doing the really bad stuff just because it's bad. It's not good for me or anybody else. But what repent really means is think like Jesus thinks. Think the right thoughts about who God is, and then you can think thoughts like God does. And God's thoughts are good, are to restore or that people would know they're loved. Those are his thoughts. So seek God while he can be found. Draw close to him while he's near. Now, while we know we have these little glimpses and bits, this is what God's like. So don't think about it and then leave and then have no room left in our thoughts for God. Keep thinking about this is who you are. This is what you're like. So about 15 minutes before... Uh, the service, I found out that Camille's grandma passed away. And um, about 15 years ago, we were living in Pella. And there's like a family reunion. For some reason, everybody decided to come to Pella. And we were sitting talking to her grandparents. And I can't remember, I think one of us said, You should come live here. They, they had retired, they were farmers. 
in Walnut, Iowa. They had retired out to Montana. They were, had been there for about 17 years. You should come live, live by us. You should come live in Pella. Six months later, we got a phone call. They sold their house. We, I mean, we were serious. We just didn't really think they would take it seriously. But they came and they moved. And we thought, Grandpa was getting a little older, was having some health issues. We wanted them to come so we could take care of them. So immediately, we, this is about when Ezra was born. It's like, oh, well, we could just drop him off at Grandma's. Oh, well, we can take him over to Grandma's. Oh, well, Grandma can do this for us. Every time I went to Grandma's, it was sort of like, don't move a muscle. Here's the remote control. We didn't have cable at the time. I went over to Grandma's a lot when Michigan was playing basketball. Anyway, <laughs> you get there. Let me, it was like, let me serve you. I felt like I was, it was Sabbath. Like, just, Grandma just cooked she was kind. She did all these things. I will take care. She's playing with the kids, all this. And like a few years in, Camille and I are like, oh, we kind of, we did this so we could take care of them. We're, we're getting a way better deal out of this thing. And when we moved here, they moved here too to Knoxville. Now, I'm watching Grandma and Camille, and they're very like each other, which is mostly good. But there's one little stubborn, <laughs> there's one little stubborn side. So... This is, this is the thing. Grandma is constantly thinking about what can she do for me? What can she do for Camille? What can she do for her kid? That's what she's thinking about all the time. And so they would get in fights all the time about, Grandma, you overpaid. No, I didn't overpay. You let me pay. No, I, it was just... So one time, we're going to go out for Mother's Day. We're going out for Mother's Day. Meal. I'm picking up Ezra, and it's like a Thursday, and Grandma says... Gives me a hundred bucks. It says, that's for Mother's Day meal. Don't you tell Camille. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm like, knowing, like, I'm thinking about my, like, you know, what would Camille do? I'm thinking about this, like, uh. And I look at her, like, Camille's not going to like this. So I'm like, um, I'm not going to win this argument, am I? No, you're not. <laughs> I just put the, put the money in my pocket and left. We have the Mother's Day meal. And we get done, Camille pays, because I never pay for anything. But anyway, we pay, Camille pays, and as we drop her off and are pulling away, Camille says, I'm so proud of Grandma. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't even try to pay. <laughs> so, in these last couple years, Grandma hasn't been able to take care of herself very well. And at one point, as Camille's cleaning her, she says, a granddaughter shouldn't have to do this for her grandmother. And Camille says, Grandma, you have loved us so well. You have taken care of so many people. It is your turn for me to take care of you. Camille wanted to take care of her grandmother. She called it an honor to take care of her grandmother. Now those are thoughts, like God's thoughts. Two people who just want to do good toward the other, who are thinking about ways to do good toward each other. That is what he's thinking about all the time for you.
has so many things in mind that are good for you. Have the worship team come up. What are you thinking about now, Lord? What are you thinking? What are your thoughts towards us, towards me? We pray that you would show us your glory this morning. Show us your goodness and your compassion and your mercy. Show us your patience and your kindness, your forgiveness toward us. There's a tenderness in this room now, and I encourage you to seek the Lord while he may be found, to draw close to him because he is near right now. He is near. And he's not going anywhere. It's just for us to decide whether we're going to turn our hearts and mind toward him and let him love us. Come, Holy Spirit, do whatever you think is best in these moments now, in Jesus' name.